Um, go ahead and turn with me once again to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, while you're turning there, just a couple of announcements. Don't forget, uh, Sunday, uh, we're going to continue on with our new, uh, new sermon series on family matters. I did get a lot of good feedback uh, on Sunday. Sunday was an introductory message because we had the baptisms and we had the uh, bottles, bibs, and more giveaway. So really, I didn't really jump into where I wanted to be. Uh, but Sunday we'll kick off on family matters because, again, like I said Sunday, I'm very concerned about the family. I'm very concerned about what I see uh, in society uh, regarding the family. And if we want to know what the family's all about and what it entails, we just go back to the designer. And God's Word gives us insight because, he remember, the family is the initiative of God, not of man. And if we want to know how it works, how God intended for it to work, then we go back to the blueprint. Uh, so we're going to continue that uh, this Sunday. Um, I know there's something else going on, but my mind is totally blank. Uh, I do have one spot open for our fishing trip. We've taken guys, men. Uh, we're doing a men's fishing trip on May the 6th. It's a Friday. Uh, it's $100. We're going to leave here at 0400. That's 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and we're going to go to, I know, that's the only time I get up early is when I go fish. Uh, we're going to go to Cedar Creek Lake and uh, have a uh, have a guide over there. We've got three boats, so I have one spot open. You can sign up at the hub if you would like to. Um, and uh, anyway, just looking forward to. Uh, it's been a good year. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Seniors luncheon tomorrow, ten thirty. So come on out. Uh, Johnny uh, Williams is going to be uh, have the program tomorrow. He's going to be singing, and and if you know Johnny, he'll be talking. And he might talk more than he might, and then he sings. But anyway, <laughs> it's it's always good. Uh, let's get into our series tonight. Uh, on uh, we've been doing a series now for a couple of weeks, strength and weakness, and and I've never taught through the book of second uh, this letter of Second Corinthians. I've never, uh, you know, I've, obviously we've read through it. I've preached out of it, but I've never really done a verse by verse study, and that's what we're doing right now. Um, this is the second letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians. Um, and as I said in the very beginning, this letter is one of his most personal letters because he reveals a lot of things about himself that he doesn't reveal in many of the other letters that he writes. And so it's a very personal letter. It's a letter that where, whereby he uh, reinforces his right to be an apostle. So he defends his apostleship. He talks about his uh, uh, trials and tribulations and and it's very good for us because how many know that we go through trials and tribulations too? And to be able to look at someone or read about someone who has endured and came out strong. And so later on, Paul writes to his son in the Lord Timothy, he says, I've finished my race. I kept the faith. And I think that's very important that, that no matter what comes our way, we can, and tonight's teaching is entitled Steady On. Um, that's something I heard in the military, and I've never forgot it, steady on, and that just means just, just hold the line, just hold the course, and steady on. And that's, that's who Paul was. So let's begin verse number 12. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance. I love that. 
Uh, one translation calls that the aroma of Christ. He diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of, of death, leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life, leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are, we are not, as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God. We speak in the, in the sight of God in Christ. And may the Lord add his blessing to his word. Uh, we're going to jump right in tonight. Uh, how many of you are familiar with the name? If I, if I call the name Joe Kennedy, anybody, would anybody know who I'm talking about? Joe Kennedy. Okay. So if you follow the news, you probably know the name uh, Joe Kennedy. Joe Kennedy was a uh, high school football coach in Washington State uh, a few years back. Okay. And he was, <coughs> pardon me, he was fired because he had the audacity to pray. He prayed, and, and, and so he was fired. He prayed after each game on the 50-yard line. He would, after the ball game was over, he would go out to the 50-yard line. He would kneel, and he would pray, and they fired him. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because this week the Supreme Court, uh, I believe it's this week, maybe next week, I'm not sure, but I think it's this week, they're going to hear arguments regarding his case uh, this week. But the school district said, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, the school district said, that they, the only reason they fired him was that they, they didn't really have an issue with him praying if he would just come back when nobody else was there uh, or if he would go somewhere else and pray. That the issue wasn't him praying. It was the fact that he went out on the field and he knelt down and, and prayed. Now, you've got to understand, Coach Kennedy, when the game was over and everybody were, all the people were exiting the stadium, he by himself went out there to pray, never extended an invitation to anyone to come and be a part of that prayer. He did it on his own as an individual, uh, and, and there were times where spectators joined him, some of the players joined him, but he never asked anyone to join, uh, join him in prayer, and for this riotous behavior, he was fired. And so we do pray that justice prevails uh, you know, I mean, I could stand here tonight and we could cite many instances, uh, many different stories like this. Uh, you know, Coach Kennedy, that's not the only one that's had issues uh, like this. We, we have many different stories uh, where people of faith were being forced into silence or solitude simply because of their faith. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I think about this. I can cuss in public. I can take the name of the Lord in vain in public. And through music, I can glorify rape and violence and all other types of deviant behavior, but I must never say the name. I must not say that name. Years ago, some of you remember this story when Tiger Woods, if you follow golf, Tiger Woods, public, it was a very public spectacle. He was imploding in his relationship. It was revealed, he revealed that he'd had numerous affairs and and his family was imploding every night on the nightly news. It was just like tabloid, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They're talking about Tiger Woods and his wife, uh, Ellen. Uh, Britt Hume, who is a commentary on one news channel, uh, basically said on air that Tiger Woods needed to turn to Jesus and have a new life. And, and, and guess what? They weren't too happy about that. Uh, in fact, this guy, he was blasted. He was called a bigot. He was called narrow-minded. And one writer even said of his statement, 
that is a stupid way to think. Again, by Brit telling him that he needed to find Jesus and find a new life. Even, even some Christians seem to be put out that Brit Hume would actually get on TV and tell Tiger that he needed to find Jesus and get a whole new life. Later on, Brit was doing an interview, and here's what he said. that He said that the name of Jesus has always been explosive. I mean, I think about it. It's always been explosive, and, and, and for us today, that is an absolute fact. I remember in 9-11, I remember when it happened. I was at the, uh, right now it's a real performance gym. I was there that morning, and I happened to be running on the treadmill when I could run, and, uh, and I remember watching it. I didn't have any earphones in or earbuds, but I could see it playing out, and it, and it, it, and it just it, it, it shocked me. It was something that, again, if you watched it, you know where you were. You, that's one of those days, as the as a old say, lives, will live in infamy. One of the things that happened right after that is that all of a sudden, God became very popular in our country. How many of you remember seeing signs that said, God bless you, and God bless you, and God save America, and God this, and God that, and every, all of a sudden, God, God got very popular, but what was noticeably absent was Jesus. See, a lot of people don't have a problem with God. They have a problem with Jesus because Jesus changes everything, and, 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 and he said, uh, and here's what Britt Hume said, and I quote, he said, you speak the name of Jesus Christ, all hell breaks loose. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Culture demands that we not say that name. And if you don't want conflict these days, don't mention Jesus. You can talk about God because God's many flavors to many people. Some say Allah's God and Buddha and Krishna and all these other. Don't mention Jesus, though. Again, this is nothing new, right? I mean, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, he said, I didn't come to bring peace. Remember what he said he came to do? bring a sword. I I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Now, that's pretty descriptive because a sword, think about it, a sword cuts both ways. It cuts both ways. When Jesus is preached, not everybody's going to be happy about it. Listen, every Sunday I get up to preach and share the Word of God, I understand that there's some people that that listen probably don't want to hear it. Not, not everybody's going to be glad that when we start talking about Jesus. Not everyone will be happy with us. If you share your faith with your neighbor, not everybody's going to be happy that we talk about Jesus. Some will sneer. Some will jeer. <laughs> Sneers and jeers. Others will ignore us. But then there will be some that will believe the message. And we never know in advance the reaction that we're going to get. I mean, it's not like I can look out on a Sunday morning and say, well, you know what? That guy right there, he's not, ever, he's not going to respond. He's not going to hear the message. You just can't do that. We have no way of knowing, so we, out of obedience, preach the gospel, and we let it do what it is designed to do. So how do we stay encouraged? I mean, this is part of the, uh, the steady on that I'm talking about. So how do we stay encouraged when we know that there are some people that will not only reject our message, but they will reject us as well? Again, I've said this for years. If you decide to follow Jesus, you will lose some friends. Not everybody will want to be in your ticker tape parade. You, it's going to cost you something. And so how do, we, how do we stay encouraged when we know that to be factual? How do we stay focused on the task instead of worrying about what others think about us? This is where our text comes in tonight. Our text reminds us that when we are joined to Jesus, when we're in that relationship with him, we're on the winning side. 
Again, sometimes we have to just revert to what we know to be true. Uh, sometimes the waves will blow against us and the wind will be contrary to us. And, and sometimes we're scared out of our minds. But, but we always have to revert back to what we know is true. And listen, if I'm with Jesus, then I'm on the winning side. I'm on the winning team. You know, we may lose a few battles, but the victory always belongs to the Lord. And if we're on his side doing his work, the truth of the matter is we can't lose. We can't lose. Paul mentions in verse 11 and 12 that he went to Troas to preach the gospel. But if you notice in that, in that scripture, in those verses, he, he left pretty quickly. Uh, he left there because he was looking for Titus who had news on the Corinthian church. And when he couldn't find him, he was troubled. In fact, uh, he was, uh, evidently he was fearful about what was going on in the Corinthian church. So, uh, again, he left that open door in Charles to go find Titus in Macedonia. Now, it may have seemed like an odd thing for, to many of his friends that he would leave such an open and effectual door, but he did. I think Paul left him. Have you ever been troubled to the point where you couldn't function? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you, were, you were bothered by something to the point where you were just non-functioning. I, I think that's probably what's going on. He was so worried about what was taking place in Corinth and that he couldn't find Titus to get information of what was happening that the pressure of that overwhelmed him to the point where he couldn't function there, and so he left. He couldn't concentrate on his work. That's what I'm saying. He had to go to find out what was going on. So, so what are the marks of a faith that keeps going when it would be easier to throw the towel in? I like what Ray Stedman, Ray Stedman gives an, uh, kind of an outline I, I, I want to use tonight. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, the first thing, one of the marks, uh, again, what are the marks of, uh, of, of faith that keeps going when it would be easier to quit? Now, well, number one, unfailing success. Look at verse number 14. He said, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Now, I like the imagery that he uses there. You know, Paul oftentimes, he, he kind of, well, Jesus did the same thing too, but he's always pulling these elements that would be very relevant to their understanding. So he's talking about a triumphal procession. Paul said that God leads us in a triumphal procession in Christ. Uh, now, now, think about it. How many of you remember, I think it was 2011, when the Dallas Mavericks won the NBA championship? Anybody, anybody remember that? They did. If you didn't know that, they did. And if you don't care, they still won. <laughs> Just, they, they won. And one of the things that sticks out, I, I'm not a big basketball fan. I, Sheila is. Sheila, uh, in, in her school, she actually played basketball. In her school, they didn't. It was a small school. Remember, they only got a, a red light about 1998. I mean, it's a small, it's one of those peak and plum towns. Peak around the corner, you're plum out of town. And so it's a small high school, and uh, so she played basketball, and so she likes to watch basketball. And I remember them winning because the thing that sticks out is Sheila and I lived in Germany for three years, and, and Dirk Nowinski uh, is from Germany. And who could forget him singing uh, on, on that float, We Are the Champions? Uh, it, it was the most horrendous thing that you've ever heard in your life. Uh, but they were the champions. And, and, and the reason I'm saying this is what do they do? Now, think about this. What do they do when a home team wins a championship? They have a victory parade. I'm, I'm well acquainted with that because I'm an Alabama Crimson Tide fan. 
and we have won a number of national championships. And every time we win a national championship, I'm not rubbing it in. I'm just being. I'm just saying that when your hometown wins, <laughs> when your hometown wins, they throw you a parade. And, and so Paul's like, "Hey, do you want to be in a victory parade? Then make sure you're on the winning team. If you want to be in a processional, a triumphant processional." Uh, be, make sure you're on the winning team. So when the Mavericks won, what did Dallas do? They threw them a wonderful parade. They blocked off streets. They diverted traffic. Uh, it was wonderful unless you were stuck in traffic. They diverted traffic. Some of the businesses closed down. People lined the streets as the champions came by, carrying the championship trophy. And, and you think, why such a spectacle? Well, because the home team won. The home team won, and because this is Dallas, and I'm just going to group us together, right? Because this is Dallas, this is Dallas, that's our team. That's our team. Again, I'm, I'm generalizing because probably you may not even care anything about it. But, it. but it's our team. They represent us. And it's a strange dynamic in some way. We often say, well, we'll get them next time. So the Rangers lose. Well, we'll get them next time. Or in the case of the Cowboys, this is our year. When our team wins, we win. We win. Some weird way, we're connected to them because they're our team. We pull for them. We root for them. And when they win, we win. When they lose, uh, we'll do better next time. Well, that's kind of what Paul's picturing here. That's where I'm going with this. That's what Paul's picturing here. He has in mind this parade. And, again, the imagery that he uses would have been well, uh, very familiar to the people there in Corinth because Rome always had a victory parade when a general would come home victorious in battle with his troops. There was always a a victory parade that they would uh, put in procession and people would step out in the streets and they would celebrate the general and the troops and all the people, the dignitaries that would come and they would march down the street to the to the applause and the in the in the celebration of the people. You know, it uh, the parade would begin by having out front public officials, and following them would be the trumpeters that would play, uh, and, and, and then there would be the spoils that were taken uh, from the conquered land, followed by a white bull that would be used uh, for their pagan sacrifices, followed by the captives, that they, the, the prisoners that they had taken in battle. Then came, his fa- then came the chariot pulled by a white horse, which would have the conquering general. He would come with this white stallion and his family would follow as would the victorious soldiers. And then, and then there would be, uh, as they would make their way through the streets, the people would be on the side hollering triumph, triumph, triumph. And again, it was a victory parade. They were celebrating that this general had accomplished great things. It was a day uh, so grand that people would never forget that. Paul pictures for us, Christ as a conquering general with his people marching with him in a grand victory parade. And, and I don't want you to lose that imagery because you and I are on the winning side. If Jesus Christ is Lord of our life, then we're on the winning side. And one day there will be, I, I love what Revelation, I believe it's 19, uh, when he said, I saw heaven opened and, and he saw the white horse and, and there was on him faithful and true and and he described the, the Son of God. And behind him were the, 
were the masses of believers that had gone on to be with the Lord, coming back with him. That's the parade. He's, he's talking about, uh, again, this, th- he's coming back. There's not a battle in the future to decide who wins. It's not a battle. He done, when, he, when he said it is finished, that sealed it right there. That, that was it. So Paul pictures Christ as a conquering general with his people marching in grand victory. Having subdued his enemies, he marches in this ultimate triumph. Paul said, all who believe in him march in his victory parade. See, when he wins, we win because we're on his team. He wins the victory, yet we share in his triumph. He gets the glory, and we get to join him in the grand celebration. So, so one of the marks of that type of faith is that unfailing success. In other words, if you build your life upon Christ, then you're guaranteed the victory. The second one is an undeniable impact. Undeniable impact. Verse 15 says, For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. So Paul calls Christians the aroma of Christ and the fragrance of the knowledge of him. I did a sermon, it's been maybe several years ago, where I asked the question, do you have the smell? It wasn't based on this scripture, it was something else, but do you have the smell? Do you smell of, and that's what Paul says here, that we are the aroma of Christ. And, and so maybe, maybe part of what he's thinking is the incense that the priest would swing uh, as the general and his soldiers marched through Rome. Maybe, maybe that's kind of, uh, you know, there was a distinguished smell about it. How many how many's ever gone into a restaurant and you can, I mean, there are certain restaurants that, uh, you know, if you go to like a, a Middle Eastern restaurant, they're going to have incense burning. I mean, you know that you're, in a, you're not in a McDonald's, that's for sure. You know, there's incense. And, and, and maybe that's what he's picturing is that since we are the aroma of Christ, it's like the incense being waved in front of the conquering general and his soldiers as they marched through through Rome, that sweet smell meant victory to the troops. But watch this. But to the captives, to the prisoners, that same aroma was death. Think about it. To the victors, that aroma was sweet and pleasant, but to the captives, it was an aroma of death. While the crowds cheered, the captives knew that they were marching to their own execution. When the gospel is preached, here's the thing, some believe. For them, the gospel is life unto life. Some believe, and the gospel is life unto life. Likewise, some do not believe, and they don't want anything to do with the message. For them, it is a message of death unto death. So it is an aroma of Christ to one, and it is an aroma of death to the other. Some hear and receive, some refuse and are condemned. I've always used the illustration of, uh, of Ezekiel's dry bones, the valley of dry bones. Ezekiel's taken out to this valley of dry bones, and I love the descriptive words that he used. There was very many. They were very dry. They were disjointed, dry bleached bones scattered out over this valley. And God sets them down there in the middle of them and says, Son of man, can these bones live? I have preached to some people that I wondered the same thing. Can they live? (laughs) 
And, and God said to him, he, well, he said, and, and I love his diplomatic answer. He said, son of man, can they live? And he's like, uh, you know, Lord. Well, of course he does. You know, Lord. And then he said this, preach to the bones. That's about as exciting as a tooth extraction. <laughs> preach to the bones. And what does he do? Oh, ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And the Bible says when he began to preach, there was a noise and a shaking, a rattling. There's a song out, rattle, rattle. <laughs> and those bones came together, muscle and sinew and tissue and, and skin, and they stood up an exceeding great army, but they were still dead. And he said, he said now preach to the four winds. Oh, you four winds, come and breathe that they might live. Breath, pneuma, entered into them. And my point being, is that any time God's word goes forth, there's always going to be a noise and a shaking. Some people get mad. Some people get glad. Some people get in. Some people get out. But you cannot sit under the anointed preaching of God's word unmoved. He said it's an aroma of Christ to the victors and a fragrance of death to those who reject. See, the same message produces life in one, and it reveals death in the other. That's where the two-edged sword, the gospel is a two-edged sword that cuts both ways at the same time. It reveals our sin, and then it offers the eternal remedy. It explains our guilt and shows us the way of forgiveness. It strips away every self-centered excuse we have, and then it offers to clothe us in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Wherever the message of Christ has gone has always created controversy, always has. Some believe it and they find eternal life through Christ. Others reject it, sometimes angrily because Jesus threatens the core of who we are. So the question is, like Judge, not Judge, Coach Kennedy, should we just shut up for fear of offending others? Should we remain silent when we know the truth? Should we pretend that all of them are the same. You know, like Oprah Winfrey one time said, Jesus can't possibly be the only way. So do we keep silent? Do we say, well, you know what? In this, this polytheistic world that we live in, all roads do lead to the same place. You call him God, Jehovah. We call him Allah. We call him this. We call him that. Should we just be quiet? Should we talk as if Muslims and Christians and Hindus and Buddhists and Jews and secularists all stand in the same position when it comes to salvation? Should we be quiet? We can't. We can't keep silent. We have to declare what we know to be true. And it's offensive to some. Jim Elliott, the great missionary that was martyred for his faith, here's what he, here's what he prayed, and I quote, Father, Make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or the other on facing Christ in me, end quote. Isn't that good? Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork. That when men must turn one way or the, that men must turn one way or the other on facing Christ in me. End quote. Listen, while it's important to declare the gospel, the thing is we can't control what the reception's going to be, and it's always been like that. Paul said that we are the aroma of Christ. Unbelievers can sense the fragrance of Christ in our life. That's why I'm saying, do we care the aroma? 
Do we carry the smell? Do, does our countenance reflect that we are Christ followers? You know, we used to sing that song. I was, it was still around when I was a teenager. We are Christ ambassadors, CAs. Do we carry ourselves as though it's a, it's a sweet fragrance? Are we pleasant to be around? Are we, uh, are, are, can they see Christ in us? You know, see, here's the thing. Some people are attracted. How many of you have smells that you just can't stand? And there are smells that you like. Yeah, and, and you know what? And there's probably a lot of people that the smells you like, they don't like. And the smells you don't like, they like. See, again, when we carry the aroma of Christ, some people are attracted to that smell and some are repelled. But we're not responsible. That's the thing. We're not responsible for who receives our message and who rejects it. We're just responsible for declaring it. That's our responsibility. Jesus, Jesus could have easily taken everybody to heaven when they got saved, but he didn't. He left us with a commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all peoples. Our job is to declare it. That's it. I heard of a study one time that asked, there were many Americans that reported having uh, had someone attempt to share the gospel with them, you know, knock on their door type thing and share the gospel. And the majority of the ones that reported on this survey said it was an unpleasant experience. <laughs> and they didn't give a reason for it. It's just an unpleasant experience. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure the same thing would have been said about the Apostle Paul. He was, I mean, think about Paul. Paul wasn't a big hit in Athens. <laughs> Ephesus was pretty tough on him too. He got run out of Thessalonica. And when he got to Jerusalem, the people there were not quite happy to see him there anyway. But yet Paul stayed the course, steady on. He stayed the course, traveling and preaching and winning people to Jesus and planting churches because he's not responsible for who receives the message. In Acts, he says, I'm, my hands are clean of the blood of all men, meaning he had done what he could do to share the gospel. And what they do with it, it's on them. See, may we never get to heaven and somebody say, why didn't you tell me? They may reject you outright, but if you tell them, you've done what Christ has asked us to do. The third characteristic is the un unquestioned integrity. Paul goes on, verse 16, and he said, who is equal to such a task? Again, it's a monumental task. Who's equal to such a task? Unlike so many, he said, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. So, again, if our lives are sweet smell like uh, of life to some and the stench of death to others, then how should we live? If my, if my life gives off an aroma, how should we live? Or, as Paul said, who is equal to that task? Who's equal to it? And the answer is no one. <laughs> the answer is no one. I mean, in, our, in and of ourselves, we cannot do anything like that. But in Christ, all things are possible. In Christ... I live and move and have my very being. See, I think most of us struggle because, and most people struggle today because we don't feel very good about who we are. I read a report just earlier this week as I'm doing a lot of research on my family series, and I, I read a, uh, an article about today's teenagers. And they said even with all the technology and all the advancements that we have in our, in our, uh, in, in our current society right now, that more teens report being sad, borderline depressed, sad, borderline depressed 
than any other time in recorded history. Think about that for a minute. Why in the world would that be true? Because there is a God-shaped vacuum in us that cannot be filled by the things of this world. It cannot. And we've stuffed, we've, we've promoted consumerism and materialism and told them if they had this gadget and this and this and this, they would, and it's not. And the data reveals. And again, the point being is many people struggle uh, because they don't feel very good about who they are. I said this Sunday, and I'll, I'll say it again. Of all the people that we're to love, we're one of them. We're very hard on ourselves. We're very hard on ourselves. I know, I know sometimes I struggle with that. I struggle, I've, I've struggled with it for years. You know, when I first started pastoring, I, you know, we'd have a particularly low off Sunday, and I'd go home, and I'd, feel, I'd go into a depression for two or three days because I think somehow I failed. I didn't read the Bible enough. I didn't pray enough. I didn't do this enough, and on and on and goes. And finally, the Lord got through to me and said, it, it has absolutely nothing to do with you. But it took a long time to get that through my mind because I'm looking at responses and thinking somehow I had something to do with it. And that's the way a lot of people want to live their lives. And, again, it's, it's easy to get down on ourselves and think, well, you know what, you ought to be a better person than you are. Well, I know that. <laughs> ought to be. Or, well, you're not a very good Christian. Or, what if people knew the real you? That's a biggie today. What if people knew the real you? And there may be a little truth in all of these statements, but listen, here's the thing. If being yourself is not enough, listen to me, faking it won't get you anywhere. That old adage, fake it till you make it, it's not true. If you can't make it being yourself, then faking it's not going to help you one bit. Most people can spot a phony a mile away, particularly our children and teenagers. Paul said, look, we didn't get into ministry for money. We came to Corinth because we loved you. And regardless of what you think, we're not hypocrites. That's what he's saying to them. We're not hypocrites. What you see is what you get. This is us. We can say that because God sent us. Therefore, we don't have to pretend to be something else. Again, I, I, I've often said this, that this is me. Somebody was talking the other day. They uh, had to come to my house to pick up something, and I, I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just a country boy. I, I, I grew up in South Alabama. I went barefoot. I played in the mud. When my dad would till up the garden out there, I'd go out when it rained, and I would bog down to my knees. I played in that stuff. You know, I shot, I hunted, I fished. I did all that stuff. I eat dirt. I don't do it anymore, but I did when I was a kid. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm just me. And so they came to the house, and I had my shorts on, and I had, a, well, they, I had one of those, uh, like a tank top shirt on, had flip-flops. And uh, the, the boy that was, her son was with her said, Mom, I just can't see that. I just can't see that. <laughs> You know, the image, you know, of, of me being in, in, in dress clothes all the time. Listen, I don't wear a suit at the house. I don't wear shirts and, you know, slacks and a shirt at the house. I don't do that. In fact, I have a, my favorite shirt is an Alabama Crimson. It's an Alabama shirt. I do have more shirts than that. But my favorite shirt is an Alabama shirt. It has holes under here. It has holes under here. Probably has a hole right down here. My favorite, most comfortable shirt. And if you come to my house, you may, in the summer, you may find me wearing that shirt. I like that shirt. 
I hope it never goes missing. It's a comfortable shirt. Listen, I'm just me. And for some people, I don't measure up, and that's okay. But I'm just me. God sent me to this church in 1993 to be who I am. And I'm just trying to be the best me I can possibly be. Do I fall short? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know what? I keep trying. I just want to be me. Ray Stedman said, It is hopeless to look to secular leadership to get us out of the mess that we're in. If the church is not going to say to the world that God has sent it to what God has sent it to say, there is no hope for this country or any country today. Did you get that? If the church doesn't say what God sent it to say, there is no hope for the country or the world. It is truth we need. It is light in our darkness that we need. Doesn't that say a mouthful right there? You know, today, I don't want to chase that, but it bothers me when we want to, I'm not going there. I mentioned it earlier how Britt Hume said that he, you know, said what he did on air regarding Tiger Woods, and he got all kinds of hateful responses. I mean, again, a lot of vitriol. But here's what he said, and let me just give it to you. He said, and I quote, he said, I think because I'm a Christian and I believe that Christianity is true, that Tiger Woods and his wife Ellen would be a lot farther down the road toward forgiveness and redemption if they were both Christians, but they're not. And they're going to do the best they can with what they have, and I wish Tiger Woods well, end quote. Did you get it? I believe Christianity is true, and I know that if they were to give Christianity a, cho- a, a chance, that there would be hope for their relationship, and they would be a lot farther down the road. But because they're not Christian, they don't have any hope. They'll just use what they have, and I wish him well. Bold statement, right? But he was convicted to say, man, you need Jesus. One guy was so upset that he posted on his social media, it was reported, and it said, in Brit Hume's honor, the next Jesus person who knocks on my door is going to get a punch in the face. That's how mad they were because he used the name. We don't talk about the name. <laughs> he was so upset because he used the name. said, if the Jesus people knock on my door, I'm going to punch them in the face. Think of it, Paul faced the same mindset 2,000 years ago, and nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. There was a faction in Corinth. I, we've been talking about that. There was a faction in, Cor- a faction in Corinth that, that uh, tried to get, actually split the church because, they, because Paul changed his travel plans twice. They said he was unreliable, that he was fickle because he changed his travel plans twice, and it upset them. And so they started this rumor. Again, it's been going on. For 2,000 years. I mean, again, in 2,000 years since Jesus walked this earth, he remains the great divider of humanity. Again, 911, 9-11, everybody was quick to jump on the bandwagon. God bless you. God bless America. I even saw a picture. I've shared this with you before. I saw a picture uh, on a, in a newspaper uh, article talking about that very thing. God is now popular, and it had a X video store that had God bless the USA. I'm thinking, really? What God do you want to bless the USA as a triple X video store? But God was popular. But nobody talked about Jesus. Nobody said anything about Jesus. 
Listen, Jesus Christ remains the great divider of humanity. You are the aroma of Christ. We are the aroma of Christ. To some we bring the fragrance of life, and to those who reject Christ, the fragrance or the, the fragrance of death. That's just the way it is. There, there is no one like him. There's no one that can compare to Jesus. He came to bring the sword. Remember, he said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And that sword now rests in our hands. It cuts both ways. Some receive unto life, and some reject unto death. Again, it's not to use as a weapon for conflict, but to use as a testimony as divine power. I'm going I'm to wrap this up. Again, we are still the aroma of Christ to the saved and to the lost. I had a, a cousin, and I've shared this with you before, but I had a cousin. We were, we were more like brothers. I, when I ran away from home, I actually moved in uh, to live with them. Um, he was, I was three months older than him. Every Sunday, my parents would, we would go to church. All, all, all my life up to that point, we went to church. Every Wednesday night, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night. Revivals, we didn't miss. I mean, we, ju- we were just there. That's the way I was raised. He was the opposite. He never went. Now, his grandfather was my grandfather. His, our grandfather was a pastor, founded a church that, we, that I grew up in. But it skipped him. Or, or hit that generation, but he never went. And even before I left home and, and uh, moved in with him, when I would stay the weekend with him, my parents, because we lived right around the corner, so my parents would swing by on the way to church, and guess what they did? They honked the horn, and that meant, get in this car, we're going to church. And I'd go out of the house, and I'd get in the car, and I'd go to church. And I'd never ask him to come. I don't recall one conversation I had with him about Jesus. I don't recall. There may have been. I, pr- I pray that there was. But there, I don't recall any conversation. Most of it, again, was, a, again, in a very heathenistic way of my, of my thinking at that time. I went to Germany in 1987. And that summer, I get a phone call. And it's my mom. And she said, you need to know that Craig, your cousin, died in a car wreck today, was killed. First thing I thought of was I never told him. That was the first thing I thought of. I never told him. And I thought, you know, if, if, if it plays out like this, if I get to heaven, you know, we heard that song, Thank You for Giving to the Lord, and we talk about all those people that, you know, because you gave and because you served and all these people came to the Lord. What if the opposite is true as well? What if every opportunity I miss to tell someone about Jesus, when I get there, they're going to look at me and say, why didn't you tell me? Again, that, that, that was a conviction of mine. That became one of those things where, you know what, Lord, every time I get a chance to talk about you, I want to do that. I preach the way I preach because I want people to hear the gospel. I don't want to play games because it's not something to play around with. I try to be humorous and, 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 and a little silly every once in a while, but I want to preach the gospel because I want anyone who tunes in online or comes to this service, I don't want them to stand in heaven one day and say, Pastor, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you teach me? 
I want to be able to say like Paul, my hands are clean because I've declared. See, we are still the aroma of Christ to the saved and to the lost. Some will believe and be saved. Others will reject and be lost. It was true then. It is true today. And because it's true, we have to remain faithful to the one who loved us and gave himself for us. So don't be discouraged. Won't you stand with me? Don't be discouraged. We're already in the victory parade of Jesus. And no matter how many attacks are ahead of us, doesn't change the fact that we're, the, we're on the winning team. We're on the winning team. So when you share that message of Christ to your neighbors, your loved ones, or whatever, and they kind of shrug their shoulders and say, I oh, don't give me that Jesus stuff. You know, do the work of an evangelist. Do what you've been called to do. Hear the aroma. Be a sweet fragrance. And then leave it up to him. So you've heard my analogy of fishing. I won't use it again, but that's our job. We go out and we catch fish. And then we get to sit on the dock and let the Holy Spirit clean them up. Because that's his job, not our job. Won't you bow with me? As we close in prayer, and if you're online this morning, if you'll comment, or this evening, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you as well. Two things. Number one, maybe you're here tonight, and maybe you're, maybe you're struggling. You know, maybe you've been poked, prodded, made fun of, mocked because of your faith. You say, you know what, Pastor, I want to be that sweet aroma of Christ. I want... Again, not that you have to wear a badge and say, I'm a, you know, that just your countenance. The disciples were known. They looked at them and said, you've been with Jesus. There was something compelling about them, the way they responded. If you're here and you say, you know what, I've been challenged and maybe I've cowered a little bit and I, I need to stand up. I want to be that aroma. And the second thing is this, maybe you're here tonight and say, you know what, I'm battling a little bit of discouragement because I have loved ones that have flat out rejected the message of Jesus, people I care about. And I want to continue to be that sweet fragrance and that God would use that to open up a door of opportunity like he did to Paul in those various places. I want to, I want to be that aroma. I want to be a true aroma of Christ that, that attracts rather than repels. If you're here tonight, online to just slip in up and say, Pastor, that's me. I've got, I've got loved ones. I've got people. God knows. And you know what? The arm of the Lord is not short that he cannot reach, and his ears not deaf that he cannot hear. Father, tonight I love you so much, and I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the experience of the Apostle Paul that are so encouraging to us, Lord, because we, we go through the same thing. Lord, we're often rejected and ridiculed and mocked. But Paul remained. He was steady on. He kept on preaching, traveling, doing what you called him to do. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us tonight grab hold of that truth that we are already in the victory parade because you won. We're on the winning team, and we will be triumphant with you. We will be in that procession when you come. Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep that in the forefront of our minds when the enemy comes in like a flood. Lord, you said you would raise up that standard against him. Lord, I pray for hands that went up tonight and maybe online tonight, that maybe we have loved ones that uh, they're not following you right now. They're not serving you right now. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be that sweet aroma, that aroma that attracts, that smell that attracts them to you. May they see our life and say, you know what? I don't understand it, but you have something that I'm missing. Lord, may those doors open up. 
Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be, uh, Lord, ready. Uh, Lord, prepared to give that answer when we're asked. Lord, but let us in the meantime, let us give off that aroma uh, of Christ. Now, Father, I pray for our unsaved loved ones, our unsaved friends. Lord, we plead the blood over their life. Lord, we pray that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they might hear and understand your truth and come to confess you as their personal Lord and Savior. Now, I ask you to go with us now. Give us a wonderful, restful evening. And should you, Terry, bring us again at the next appointed time. I love you and thank you for all that you do for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.